Well, thanks again for listening to the Park Hills Podcast. If you want more information on things we're doing, go to parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. So when I think about the last two chapters of Ephesians or part of Colossians, uh, there's a couple passages in Romans and Galatians, and we think about family and what family is and what parenthood is. You know, I have a lot of ideas as to what what parenting looks like, which is part of what we're pulling out to to create this series. But Mary, hi, hi, I would love to ha- interact with you a little bit on this. Just the idea of so. What are we called to do as parents? What does it actually look like? And as people have noticed already, probably this series has a little bit to do with the idea of legacy. I think that's going to come into play mm-hmm. at the very end. But when you think about spiritual parenthood or parenthood in general, and you think about legacy, what starts to jump into your mind? What are we called to? Yeah. I think that as parents, and for me right now, I'm the parent of teenagers. Yeah. So this is... Um, something that I'm in the midst of, um, especially right now, I think that we make things way more complicated than it needs to be. And even when we're talking about spiritual pa- parenting or disciple making, we make it really, really complicated. At least I do. I don't know if you do. And I love how scripture reminds us again and again of the simplicity and the beauty of passing on um, what we know about God. And so I would say, let's keep it really simple, right? Yeah. And uh, scripture tells us that fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge um, and wisdom. Mm-hmm. There's a couple different places in scripture where it tells us that. And it's, it's really simply, we are called to pass down what we understand about God. And there you go. (laughs) Which is a pretty basic definition and not wrong and totally right. Right. And and one of the things that we're convicted about, and we talk about it often here, is that doesn't always mean that people are passing on good information. Sure. Because sometimes what we pass on, what we understand about God, I don't know about you, but there have been a number of times in my life where what I think is true Mm -hmm. of God does not line up with his word. Or what I think about God is something someone else has given me that I have to be confronted with either his character, yeah. right? Perhaps I'm in prayer and his spirit lays in mm. my heart and just says, no, that's not who I am. You know, that's not who I am. But I know a number of people who just pass on what they understand about God. And I'm going, that is not even close to who he is. Right. So what are some of the safeguards we right. could put in place that would sort of stop us from maybe going into that direction where we're... We're passing on the wrong things about God. And what I mean by that is not so much that you can pass on a wrong thing about who God really is, but the wrong things, misconceptions about him or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. So how can we avoid that? Yeah. Well, I think we have to start with the source. We have to start with his word. And that fear of the Lord comes from what he's revealed to us in his word. That's Mm -hmm. how we get to know him. That's how... We see what he's consistently been like generation and generation and generation. Um, We see 
um, even in the stories of, of Scripture that um, tell us things that human beings have done or tell us about families there, those stories are really stories to tell us about who God is, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And so I think even just studying the Word with that attitude and with that perspective is a safeguard. What am I going to learn about who God is and what He is like mm-hmm. from this reading, this this studying of Scripture, instead of, um, I guess I don't want to say that there's any bad way to study God's Word, but if I if I look at my Bible as a self-help book, or I look right. at my Bible as, oh, I'm going to get something out of this to help me succeed in life, maybe, but the the purpose of of me opening this book and spending time in it is to get to know him. So sure. he needs to be the focus. He needs to be the primary. He needs to be um, what we are and who we are wanting to keep learning more and more about. And then when we learn about God, yes, that reveals things about ourselves yeah. for sure via his Holy Spirit. Sure. Um, and then I think that makes yeah. us want to worship. Right. 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 It, it makes us want to drive our hearts to yes. spend more time with him. And then this beautiful idea of having a life as worship, as we call it in our DDP, mm-hmm. or, or you know, as you've written down, uh, a lifestyle of worship. Right. Having that sort of creates the space for me. So I'm falling in love with God, which makes me mm. want to worship him. Mm-hmm. Worshiping him causes me to fall more in love with him. And it's sort of this upward spiral of getting to know him better. And then when I frame that worship with the idea of what is God's redemptive plan, what is this gospel, this good news that he's laying out for me, how do I then line my life up with that gospel? Mm-hmm. Which is a, a challenge to get it right all the time. Yeah. And then on yeah. top of that, it's a challenge. I don't know about you, but it's a challenge for me to really pass this on perfectly to my mm-hmm. children. Right. I, so I try to create spaces for them to think about it, to do X, Y, or Z. But even that, I'm just modeling something that I don't know that they're going to pick it up. Mm-hmm. I don't know that they're going to take it. Mm-hmm. But with that said, the Bible doesn't give us anything to let us off the hook, right? I mean, Psalm 102, 18, for mm-hmm. example, you you brought this up. And I think mm-hmm. it's really helpful for us to think about, you know, what is it? what does it look like, <laughs> parenthood? Mm-hmm. And I think that verse is so good. What does that verse say? Yeah. Let, I'm going to read it out of NLT, but let this be recorded for future generations so that a people not yet born will praise the Lord. Yeah. Like you said, it leads to his glory, his call for the very first family, Adam and Eve, um, to um, reproduce, to multiply, to make um, more human beings that know him, that love him, that worship mm-hmm. him, that glorify him. It's always been God's um, call for the family, and he's faithful to help us with this call, um, as previously mentioned, as being the parent of two teenagers. Mm -hmm. I don't always get this right. I get it wrong um, a lot of the time. When I take my eyes off of that um, final goal and... But I know that he, this is God's mm-hmm. desire, even more than it is mine. And so he's going to be faithful to help us pass this on to the next generation. So that 
we can praise him. <laughs> right. I love that you said that earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's, I think you're right. That is the, the call of what we're supposed to do. And I, I think about, there are certain families that I, I look up to and admire, not because their kids are well-behaved, mm-hmm. not because they're successful, not mm-hmm. because they, yeah. so many of the world standards sort of drive me crazy. Mm-hmm. The families that I look up to the most are mm-hmm. the ones that have generational submission to God. Yeah. And, and I don't see that a ton, but there's some even in this church that I look yes. and I go, man, you've got grandparents or great grandparents who are following the Lord. Grandparents are following the Lord. Parents are following the Lord. Kids are following the Lord. And you go, that's so cool. And I think the idea of that, even coming back to that verse that you just said, to let this be recorded for future generations, how neat would it be mm-hmm. if you were living a life following the Lord and you're following generation and then their generation mm-hmm. and then their generation mm-hmm. how great would that be yeah. that would be so exciting and so when i just think about that like that is the call of family mm-hmm. that is what it's supposed to be that's what mm-hmm. it's supposed to look like yeah i think you have a great great quote from matt chandler yeah. on this yeah yeah actually matt chandler and adam griffin wrote a book together it's not that old it's called family discipleship good book if you love books mm-hmm. and you love to read and you would like some practical, practical things about family discipleship. Um, But uh, one thing that they said was, um, and this is a call to parents, but our conduct is a visual aid for our family's gospel literacy. (laughs) And (laughs) that means... Yeah, so let's (laughs) dig into that a little bit. What does that look like? Yeah. It means it's not just those times that we're real formal and Mm -hmm. we gather around the table with the word, but it's those times that we're driving in the car and um, something unexpected happens. It's those times where they're not getting along with each other and um, instead of walking them through that as a character building exercise, you just want to tell them what to do and send them to their rooms. Um, we get to pass this on in mm-hmm. the everyday, day-to-day life. And, you know, when I think about my own parents, I do think about those really special times where we were, you know, in the Word together. But I think about their conduct and I think about how they just lived day-to-day um, in faithful, faithful ways that they probably didn't even know or think that I was watching Mm-hmm. They probably can't remember those things, but I do. And um, because they believed something and then they lived it mm-hmm. at the same time. So we're visual aids. Totally. And I think about this from the framework of just thinking about the scriptures, thinking about the the idea of we often hear the Bible is creating people to be countercultural. And then what mm-hmm. ends up happening is there's this phrase that starts getting used, and it's been used a lot lately, you know, the culture wars, sure. for example, which I don't really love that phrase or that idea because it's not that we're not at war, but culture wars makes it sound like somebody's going to win and we're hoping that the right team wins. Mm. When I look at scripture, more often than not, the right team is the loser. Mm-hmm. 
we're living in a world mm-hmm. that doesn't accept what we do. So right. when I when I think through the Old Testament, I think of Noah being the only one mm-hmm. that deserves yeah. God's eyes looking upon yeah. him. I, I look at scripture and I see Daniel being one of the very few mm-hmm. that's willing to stand up mm-hmm. for what is supposed to happen. And I don't think Daniel's approaching this as like, it's a culture war we need to win. It's mm-hmm. more of, I don't care what you throw at me. Hmm. I'm going to be faithful to yeah. this. I'm going to do what I've been called to do. Yeah. So when I think about it, coming back to that family idea, it's not my job necessarily to make little culture warriors for the right. world to try to fix everything. Right. It's more, am I creating a space or am I creating room for my kids to ask the right kind of questions, mm-hmm. to think through, are they really jumping in with what God wants to do or not? And then I don't, I don't want them unless God wants them to do this, but I don't, I don't want them aiming to become a Supreme court justice and, and hmm. make decisions that change the world. That if the Lord allows them to do that, fantastic. Yeah. But I would just as much be excited mm. about my children growing up, just following the Lord and saying, I don't care what, what pressures this place mm-hmm. gives me. Mm-hmm. I know he's the one yeah. that I'm going to follow and I'm going to do that all the way to the end. And you've got a ton of Old Testament examples here. I'd love to, yeah. you know, work through as many of them as we have time for if you if you're up for it. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 sometimes it is a letdown to look at these heroes of the faith um, and to realize that they were raising their families, sometimes according to God's word, and sometimes according to the culture mm-hmm. and the world around them. We're told not to love the world. That doesn't mean the people of the world. That means the system of the world, the broken system um, of the world. Um, but sometimes our heroes participated in mm-hmm. that world system. I think about Abraham and Sarah and their workaround to bring about an heir in Isaac. They were told that um, they would be the beginning of a great family, and um, they didn't have children, and so they eventually couldn't wait on God and, and came up with another way to produce um, that son. Right. And that was not God's plan. No. I mean, in his grace, he... Um, can repurpose even those things. Right. Um, I'm thinking about um, Judah and Tamar, his his daughter-in-law. If you're familiar with that story, the the um, practice at the time was um, if a wife's if a wife's husband died before they were able to produce an heir, which again there's this, all this focus on producing an heir. Um, whether that was cultural or whether that was um, them wanting to be fruitful and multiply, I'm not. I'm not going to get into that right now, <laughs> unless you want to. Well, I think one of the best examples <laughs> I've heard of, and I'll, I will jump in for a second, but great, just because I, you know, you you said something that I have to like say. I, I thought I thought but you'd be interested in that. I've I'm one of the things I heard years ago, and I've looked into, and I think it might be right. Is it's more about the Messiah is going to come through someone at some point, right? So part of the reason why God develops some of the things that he develops for Israel is I'm going to give you the promised heir. Trust me enough. Right. Trust me enough. To to stay in the family mm-hmm. idea and keep keep plugging away. Right. 
so that more kids will be born and eventually one of those is going to be the Messiah. So I think that's the right. best possible theory for right. it. But anyway, you're right. The, the, the Judah Tamar thing is disgusting right. Right. in so many ways. Right, because God wanted his heir to come about in, in the family that mm-hmm. he had set up. And now you're bringing all of these you know, additional partners, physical partners into the family in this yep. um, desperate eff- effort to produce an heir. Um, I don't think that, that that was his intent. But yeah, back to Judah, um, leader of his family. He, he basically throws his daughter-in-law um, mm-hmm. under the bus and um, doesn't provide for her in the ways that he should have provided for him after a few of his sons die. And then so she goes and um, subjects herself to behaviors that are not right. becoming of, of um, someone who knows the one true God and follows him and worships him and he indulges as well and just yeah the whole way that they go about it just dishonors the Lord and looks exactly like the rest of the world mm-hmm. around them and um, it's hard to read those stories yeah. um, David we admire him yep. he is a man after God's own heart, but he fails his family and his children, and he even fails, you know, to build his family in ways that God calls him to. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a familiar enough story. Yeah, and that, and that leads to so many other issues, right? Mm-hmm. Kids that don't walk with the Lord. Right. Solomon is one of those that falls away. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll deal with him on a future podcast a little bit. Yeah. The the idea that all throughout Scripture you've got these individuals who are succumbing to the culture, yet mm-hmm. God's redemptive plan mm-hmm. is still moving forward because Amen. he's faithful to his plan and he's going to use these people to accomplish his purposes. But then by the time you get to the New Testament and, and the passage that we're looking into that is from the sermon that was preached, mm-hmm. the idea that Ephesians 6 is sort of this idea of what the household's supposed to look like. It starts mm-hmm. with children, moves mm-hmm. to slaves and masters. But then I would even move back to chapter five, right? This idea of, uh, let me just read this particular verse, verse 17, or sorry, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what the family's supposed to look like. And so right. then he follows that with verse 22, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And then goes on from there. And then Mm -hmm. this huge paragraph of husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her and so on and so forth. And then this mystery is profound, verse 32. And I'm saying that because it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that her husband is is respected. Mm -hmm. Then children obey your parents in the Lord, as I mentioned, for this is right. It's sticking out to me. (laughs) It's Yeah, it's huge. And then fathers don't provoke bond servants do this masters do this and what what Paul's doing here is taking everything that he's learned from the scriptures in the Old Testament and beyond those who didn't do the job and those mm-hmm. who did do the job and he's saying if you're listening to the Holy Spirit this is the type of family you're going to create and if you create this kind of family it doesn't promise that everybody in your family is going to follow yes. the Lord it's not something that says everyone is going to totally figure this out and we'll get into that a little bit on a later podcast as well. But but in the middle of this, it becomes countercultural. Yeah. 
And it doesn't matter what culture you're a part of. I'm thinking about Paul writing this to the Roman world. Mm -hmm. These statements are incredibly Mm -hmm. countercultural. I read them today. They're still countercultural today. Because even though we live in a country that has Jewish root, you know, Judeo-Christian roots, we don't think about these passages in a way of submitting to them. We'd rather buck the system, try to push back, try to say, no, we've got a better way of doing family. Mm -hmm. We've got a better way of doing this. We've got a better way of doing that. Which leads us to this place of just saying, okay, if we're supposed to be countercultural, what does it look like? And what I love about the Bible is it doesn't matter what culture you introduce it to, it is countercultural. Whether this is, you know, I've read stories of tribal people who are matriarchal, who read read the scriptures and go, we are way backward here, and they Mm -hmm. they switch it around. I also am reading this today in a fairly patriarchal society Mm -hmm. saying, we are operating maybe more like the Old Testament wrong view sometimes mm-hmm. of what patriarchy, patriarchy is supposed to look like rather than a New Testament consumed and spirit-led idea of what it means. So yeah, so, so often, to yeah, each so, other. totally. And so, so often Always. husbands come to me and they're just, you know, like, she's supposed to submit to me. Did you read the rest of the passage? Mm-hmm. No, you didn't. Uh, are you loving your <laughs> wife as Christ loved the church? That's an impossible task. Gulp. Yeah. So you just start to do that. Like it's the Bible is going to do a great job if you let it to press on every single culture that exists. So what does that mean for us? What are we supposed to do? And I'm thinking here of your your little statement you have written right below that. This I think your statement here is so good. What do we need to do, Mary, to make it work? Yeah, this requires diligence on our part because we just kind of explored the danger of not passing on right. God's truth. We see this again and again and again in the Old um, Testament when Israel forgets mm-hmm. who God is, um, when the fear of the Lord is not a cultural value. Um, generations and generations and generations are produced that don't know who God is, and then what happens? Well, everyone does what is right in their own eyes and evil and even though they were warned, and it just, it, it, it strikes me, it's so easy to <laughs> beat up on the Israelites, but even though we were warned, um, mm-hmm. the, um, just the beauty of allowing God to be the one that we fear, to be the one that we love, to be the one that we live for, to be the one that we worship, like whatever the cost, we have to pass on um, the life and the joy and the freedom that comes from loving God and serving him above all others. Even when he's calling us to do these crazy things like submit to one another, wives, submit to your husbands, husbands, love your wives and be willing to give yourself up mm-hmm. for her children. Honor your parents, even though you might know <laughs> what's right. <laughs> even though you might have some new scientific data that proves sure. that you are actually smarter. <laughs> um, or your truth might be different than your parents' truth. Um, you know, I'm kind of um, going into some of the lies that yeah. our yeah. culture says. Um, because, yeah, these lies are attractive um, to us, but 
these lies don't give us the life and the joy and the freedom that comes from loving and serving God. No. They just don't. No, they don't. And it's the whole promise that you see in scripture. When we do things our own way, death follows. Right. And that's not to say that if you believe a lie, you're automatically going to die. But it's, I don't know about you, but there are so many times in my life where I, when I believe a lie or when I walk into something that's not true, Mm. it kills me. Mm -hmm. It it does not do well for me. It hurts me. And so even when I go back to that, you know, Ephesians 6 passage and it says, you know, honor your your parents for this is right. And then it Mm -hmm. says below that, this is the promise. You know, this is the only statement that comes with a promise you know, that, that idea that you may, it may go well for you, that you may live long in the land, that, that mm-hmm. commandment with a promise mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's always going to be that, but it does mean that if you do this more often than not, you're going to be better off. And if I don't eat the fruit that's lying to me, I don't, ex- I don't receive and I don't experience death in the same way. Yeah. So, so often when I'm working with people who are really struggling with temptation or something else, it's, it's, it's less about don't, don't do that. And it's more about want him more mm-hmm. chase after him more mm-hmm. uh and when you do that then you're not going to be in this place where you feel this sense of death and in the sense right. of of you know the opposite of life joy and freedom mm-hmm. would be death you know pain and slavery right. or something slavery. like that yep and that's what we choose more often mm-hmm. than not which is a mm-hmm. it's a tale as old as the scriptures mm-hmm. are and right. it's this idea of right. god has a beautiful plan for you when you don't do it his way mm-hmm bad stuff happens. And if it, if it starts to feel, um, especially looking at the Ephesians 5 and the Ephesians 6, like this is just too hard. Jesus modeled this for mm-hmm. us perfectly as a human being. He submitted um, to the Father and um, that didn't mean that he was weak or, or meek. Right. Um, but he submitted to the Father. So wives, we can submit to our husbands. And husbands, Jesus gave himself up for us, for right. the church. So husbands, how can um, how can you give yourselves up for your wife? Well, just look to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and um, same with children, honoring their... Their parents look at how Jesus did everything that the Father mm-hmm. told him to do, and he said everything that the Father told him to say. So all we have to do is look, is look to Jesus, and he dealt with people who um, didn't treat him, didn't treat him well, in a way that um, was unexpected, and yeah, that just restraint, I would say. Mm-hmm. You know, because he could have just squashed everybody um, that that treated him poorly. So if if Jesus can do it, we can just look to Jesus, mm-hmm. and and we can do it. And so I think I wanted to keep it simple, um, and I think this keeps it simple too. We just need to fix our eyes on Him, and mm-hmm. He will show us how to be the family members that that please him because he sacrificed we can sacrifice mm-hmm. for our family because of the position that God has given us as children we don't have to be struggling for position <laughs> with our family we don't right. have to elevate ourselves above, above others um, knowing that he demands the truth in love that 
I mean, that changes how we communicate with our family. Right. And just believing in God's desire for wholeness and that he has purpose for his followers allows us to treat others the way that we have been treated by God. So if there's a way to parent without clinging to Christ, I I certainly don't know what it is. (laughs) That's it right there. There isn't one. Yeah. And back to what you're saying, this idea that it's Mm countercultural. If we're going to push back on the culture, we have to follow Jesus. That's the only answer. Mm -hmm.